in the dialogue and prayer. O oh Lord, I cry to you for help. Let my mouth be full of your praise. And your glory all the day long. Every day will I bless you. And praise your name forever. Awesome things will you show us in your righteousness, O God of our salvation. O of all the ends of the earth and of the seeds that are far away. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless God's holy name. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have made us all different parts of your body, each with different gifts and ministries and abilities. Be the ligaments that connect us together. Be the skin that nourishes and holds us. Be the blood that feeds our very life so that we might work in concert and harmony to do your will. Amen. Please be seated. Today's lesson is from Galatians chapter 3. Paul is writing about a new reality. Now, before faith came, We were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, well then, you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here ends the reading. Good morning. I don't know about you, but I still find this uh, chapel in the summertime thing a little weird. I'm having trouble getting used to it. Switching from Wednesday to Thursday was hard enough. This is just more change than I can uh, handle. I don't think any of our sibling institutions offer chapel in the summertime. At least among our other Lutheran schools, I don't know of any that do that, and I want to thank the pastors, Scott and Melissa, and all those who've assisted, uh, and all of those here for the gift of this opportunity to be together and worship in the summer. I think it's a great recognition that the university operates year-round. Some other schools obviously haven't figured that out yet. Uh, And it's a, a great example of the spirit of the strategic plan being uh, acted out and again Scott and Melissa have really owned that uh, and recognized that this community continues not just on a semester basis but uh, 12 months a year. I also don't think the church calendar helps too much. Um, We're in that long period after uh, Pentecost, uh, 
often referred to as ordinary time, and in common usage, ordinary sounds pretty ordinary. Um, no preparation and then celebration like Advent and Christmas or Lent and Easter, but sort of week after week after Pentecost, and it at least to me starts to seem pretty monotonous and how many they're going to be. And, um, but it is a time for us to think about what it means to be a community, what it means to be the church, to figure out how to live our daily lives as a Christian community. And so that does fit with the rhythm of uh, summer to perhaps relax a little bit or at least perhaps to find uh, a little more time to think to go barefoot, if you will, perhaps to take time to almost literally feel the ground under us and to think about this place and why we're here and why we do what we do. This is the season of retreats. How many of you in your divisions or units have had or are about to have a divisional retreat? Yes, most of you. Um, that is part of what summer is about and I think also uh, appropriate to this uh, season. So it's, it's the gift to have this uh, time. And uh, this ability to think about who we are and what we do and why um, is where my mind has been going a lot lately, in part because I've been at some national meetings where you get to hear from other colleges and universities and think about what they're doing and what we're doing. But it also um, gave me the opportunity to think about uh, someone who uh, helped introduce me to the Lutheran higher education world um, and who in some ways I think has influenced me far more than I would have guessed, and I'm gonna speculate far more than he would have wanted. Um, his name was Charles S. Anderson. Uh, Chuck, as he was known to uh, most everyone, uh, passed away last week, and his memorial service back in Minnesota was uh, this past Tuesday. I think uh, few of you will know his name, uh, though uh, one of his grandsons is a recent alum from Cal Lutheran and works here on campus. Uh, some of you uh, may have known him as a teacher or a colleague. Some of us, Joan Griffin and I, knew him as a boss. Um, and uh, Bill Rosser, our dean of students, was his uh, dean of students. Chuck was uh, a faculty member for a long time at Luther Seminary in St. Paul and then became dean and then subsequently uh, president of Augsburg College in Minneapolis, and uh, he was president at Augsburg when I first joined that uh, school as a uh, young history professor being exposed to the first time to a Lutheran college campus. Um, Chuck Anderson was a kind of marvelously diverse uh, personality in some ways. He was a Marine, he was a pastor, professor, scholar, administrator. Um, I won't speak for Joan Griffin, but I know some of us on the fact she was senior faculty, we were junior. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, we, we always felt that we saw more of the Marine in Chuck than we saw of the pastor uh, or the professor, and we were only partially joking. Uh, he did have a wonderful sense of humor. Um, you had to sometimes listen close to get it. Many of his jokes were quite offensive, um, scatological, those you didn't have to listen to closely to get. Uh, but he also had a way of uh, sort of making fun of himself. He used to brag that um, he owned a track record at St. Olaf College, his alma mater, that he would tell you would never, ever be broken. 
and you thought, well, what kind of pompous guy is this? And then he would add with a smile, that's because they don't compete in that race anymore. No one runs the 70.5-yard hurdle or whatever it was that he had. I remember two early encounters I had with him. And again, this is in the context of being exposed to a Lutheran college for the first time. One was, uh, I think it was my first day on campus, and I was introduced to him by the chair of the uh, history department, uh, who wanted to make sure that I, I met the president. And I was very intimidated. I thought presidents actually were meaningful people at the time. Um, and uh, Chuck said hello, and the chair then was saying a few things, trying to pump up my resume to make me seem like an impressive addition to the faculty. And Chuck said, well, that's all, that's all very fine, but does he speak Norwegian? I said, well, no, I don't. Um, later on that year, uh, at the annual Christmas dinner, I was standing in line in front of him. Bad move for a young faculty member, don't get anywhere near the president in the food line. And he sort of grabbed my arm and said, since you're a first-year person here, you have to eat lutefisk. And I was right in front of the lutefisk, and I'd heard enough about it. I didn't want to do it. But then he, again, sort of smiled and said, put a lot of butter on it. It'll be OK. <laughs> um, now, in fact, being Norwegian was both his heritage and that of the college. And he was recognizing that and lifting that up with me, but doing in a way that was also kind of subversive and recognizing that it wasn't the most important thing about the institution. Because I think he clearly recognized that holding on to an ethnic, in this case Norwegian past, would not serve the school uh, in, in the world. And in fact, Chuck Anderson was a great believer in embracing diversity uh, in, in all its manifestations. He um, was a real leader in uh, committing Augsburg to being a multicultural campus. And for a long time, I don't know if it's still the case, uh, whereas most schools had uh, one person in multicultural affairs on the staff, they had four. Um, and believe me, in Minnesota, that's not the most easy thing to do, uh, to uh, promote multicultural things. It's a little more diverse in that state now than it used to be. He was also a great uh, believer in community service and really introduced that to the campus because he believed in the importance in engaging the neighbor immediately around and in the wider uh, world. And I think what I didn't understand then and probably only sort of partially getting now is that he was trying to balance this sense of history of the place, this Norwegian identity, but with a recognition in the end that that was not the most important thing that defined the community and its uh, purpose, that there was a shared purpose that went beyond nationality or race or gender. And of course, that then brings me to today's reading. Thank you, Pastor Melissa, for reading that. Uh, and that, that famous uh, line, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. What are you supposed to make about that? I'm, I'm a little troubled by it. I mean, get the message that old distinctions have now gone away. But it seems kind of hard to believe. Okay, the, the, maybe the Jew and the Greek thing doesn't mean as much to us in the modern world. It meant a lot to Paul in this context. 
Uh, slave or free, maybe today we want to believe that's no longer a distinction, though I think we can find it in the world out there. But male and female, really? Those, those identities are no longer around? That, I find a lot of evidence to suggest, is not true. I mean, this can't be right. Um, so, say, okay, these, these external identities, I mean, they didn't really go away. What's the point here? Well, that they've been superseded by something more important, that they are things that may describe us, but they don't define us. Just like we shouldn't be defined by our job or our car or do we have the most up-to-date mobile OS on our smartphone, that our baptism in Jesus says that these human definitions, these human descriptions are descriptions, not definitions, that we are all children of God. But even that is pretty tricky stuff because we do have these, these identities. We can't pretend that gender is not there. Um, we have to understand them. We have to respect them. In our own time, we like to say we celebrate them. But again, we're cautioned, don't let them become one's defining characteristic, that we are all children of a God who does not categorize us in the way we categorize each other. I suspect the uh, soon-to-be bishop of our synod would have things to say about what defines and what describes. Um, we are all loved no matter what the descriptions are of us. But again, that's not to say this, that we are all somehow the same, that we're all alike, that this is all easy. It's not just a, hey, come on, let's just get along kind of message either. It's tougher than that. I, I have to believe that the audience for Paul had to be really stunned. I mean, these, these categories were the most profound ones in that world. And to ask people to leave aside race, religion, gender, had to be stunning to them. I mean, you're questioning basic fundamental assumptions they had about what it meant to be human. And I think it had to be very difficult to understand that claim. I suspect we would like to believe that we get it, that we understand that those are descriptions, not definitions. But I wonder, are we really that much better at finding what we have common in our baptism with others that seem different than us? I mean, maybe we could say that um, we are one with other Christians who might interpret Scripture differently, whose theology is a bit different. Maybe we could get to that, and, and that's a good thing about ecumenical conversation. Um, but what about those that aren't Christian? who don't share in that. Are we as a community, as a campus, ready to be surprised as the listeners to Paul were? Are we ready to see oneness and not difference? That's a huge challenge for our culture and above all for a college or university like this one. It's why the work around interfaith conversation is so important. 
It's why the people on this campus are committed to that are pushing us in a direction that is going to be uncomfortable because it asks us to question our very sense of who we are. I think we're called to be a community that emphasizes oneness over difference of description. I think that's what Chuck Anderson was trying to get at. I think that's what Lutheran higher education at its best is trying to get at. And I think that is what allowing us to come and worship together in the summer and to reflect on these issues gives us an opportunity to do. And so for the gifts of that opportunity and for Chuck Anderson's gifts to this world, I say thank you. Amen.